0: You're listening to simply the best sports take. The best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic. But then you wouldn't be able to hear him. And that would suck. Oh, yeah. Feel the music here, folks. Welcome into Simply the Best Sports podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham, and we have a fantastic podcast on tap today. First of all, this is The Strike. Now, why did I let that keep playing? Because today we're talking about the Warriors. First of all, though, we're going to talk about the NCAA March Madness National Championship. And madness it was, I had the great pleasure of actually attending the game, which I mentioned in the last podcast. I was heading out to catch a flight to go to Houston. Went down there, the games, well, obviously the final four games were not super incredible. They were incredible in the sense that they were badly historical, if that's even a phrase. But Villanova just just destroys Oklahoma. I did not see that one coming. I actually thought Oklahoma would win that. But Villanova, if you look, I mean, we already know the outcome, right? They won the whole thing. So, they were just running people the entire tournament, winning by double digits nearly every round with the exception of North Carolina, of course, in the championship, which we'll get to. And Kansas, I think every other game, I think every other game was by double figures. And you I mean, to beat to beat Oklahoma by 40-plus in the in the semifinals, in the Final Four, are you kidding me? That was crazy. So the Final Four games, you know, super incredible environment, but uh, obviously not the most entertaining games in terms of, you know, back-and-forth quality basketball. North Carolina-Syracuse was, was pretty good for most of the game, uh, but, but the game was in hand, you know, with just a couple, you know, a few minutes to go type of thing, but... I want to tell you about my experience down there uh, before we dive into just how incredible that game was. I mean, that championship game was the best championship game we've ever seen. Um, but before I get into that, really funny story about uh, getting into the, the semifinals in particular. So I did not have tickets. Um, tickets were like literally thousands of dollars online. There was no way I was going to you know pay thousands of dollars. And uh, did not apply for the press pass for Simply the Best Sports Podcast definitely we'll be doing that next year and i think we'll actually get it we'll see but uh so went down there had to buy tickets um tickets online were just were were outrageous i've had pretty good luck uh, throughout my life just buying tickets on the streets you know from scalpers and um so we get down there and you know we find some great seats they're they're on the sideline uh, about 30 rows up which in a football stadium that's that's about where you want to be just because it's so flat um you know, a little bit down lower, so they were really fantastic seats. So we buy the tickets. We spent. Uh, it was me and a friend. We spent three hundred bucks each. Uh, you know, obviously in cash. You're not. You're not uh, swiping credit cards out there on the streets with these scalpers. So we pay in cash, and we go to get in. And sure enough, the the horror stories you hear about buying from scalpers comes true for us. The tickets would not scan, so they won't let us in the game and you know at this point we're actually running a little bit late and uh the the Villanova Oklahoma game has already tipped off so we go we have to go to this you know ticket resolution line which is like super long so clearly they were having quite a few issues with tickets but um so we go over to the ticket resolution line and get up to the window and you know the guys like super nice i'm trying to pull a catch me if you can type thing where i'm trying to you know run you know, run interference and distract him, so he just, like, gives us better tickets and we get on our way and, you know, making jokes and whatnot. Doesn't work. He gets his manager involved, and we're told that the tickets have been reported stolen. (laughs) So there we are with stolen tickets and no chance of getting into the games. And so they won't give us the tickets back, even. They keep the tickets. They make a photocopy of them and write down the phone number of the police department, or no, not even the phone number. They put they put like HoustonPolice.org or something stupid like that on the paper. So we're supposed to apparently contact the police as if they're going to do anything to help us out, <laughs> get into the game. So now we're just like, holy cow, I can't believe this. So my buddy, he decides he's going to go track down this scalper, and I decide to go wait in line at the actual ticket office where they were still selling tickets. And we were just going to you know buy whatever cruddy seats were available and uh just you know cut our losses and make sure we didn't let a couple hundred bucks keep us from enjoying the you know the final four so i'm in line and uh, before i can get before i get to the front of the line uh, my friend calls me and he's like dude i found him and you can hear the guy in the background he's super nervous and there's cops there involved and <laughs> so i go running over there and this guy's just scared de- scared to death that we're gonna you know, come after him or get the cops involved or whatever. So he, he, you know, to his credit, he's a super nice guy, you know, like I, I do think he was doing something extremely shady, but uh, nonetheless, he was extremely kind and uh, helpful with us. So he comes back all the way through security uh, because I had like security before you even got to the gate where you could scan your ticket. So we get uh we get to the the gate and of course the tickets don't scan. All he, he's got different tickets, you know, that he's trying to get us in with. None of them scan. All of them. Are, <laughs> all of them are apparently reported stolen. So he's like, "I'll get you guys in. I'll get you guys in. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll get you guys in." So he's he's scanning all these tickets and none of them are working and he's got so many of them that he's kind of confused the lady scanning. And he pulls one of them, you know, out of her hand. He's like, "Okay, so this one worked. We're looking for one more." And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, that one worked, but it didn't. It it, it definitely did not work. None of them worked." But he was doing his own catch me if you can, you know, interference thing. Um, I'm referring to the movie, by the way. But uh, so he's, you know, he's now what's the guy's name? Frank Abagnale Jr. He's now running interference, distracting this girl, and so she's now convinced that one of the tickets actually is is valid, but it definitely was not, and. <laughs> So but he can't find a second one and he can't bamboozle her into thinking that a second one is is valid. So now we're just kind of stuck. It's like so I'm like, dude, I'm I'm not going to get you busted by the cops. I'm not asking for my money back. I just want to go into the game. Like I paid you for a ticket, get me into the game or you can give me my money back, but I'm not really concerned about getting the cops involved unless one of those unless neither of those things happens, then we are, you know, going to get the cops involved. So he uh he so he goes and goes out hits up one of his scalper buddies and says dude I need some tickets so he uh he gives him a couple tickets I don't you know they had a little private conversation he comes back with two more tickets so now we, we walk back through security again where they you know do the metal detector and stuff and we get up near the gate and six cops six one two three four five six six cops approach us and they stop us and they you know say they need to talk to us and so they they grab him in particular they grab all of his tickets from him and the the cop says, "Okay." You know, he talks now to the uh, all the ticket scanners. He says, "I need to know who the the best ticket expert is among you." So one of them, you know, kind of volunteers, and he takes him off to the side and makes sure that our our uh, scalper buddy uh, is out of earshot and out of eyesight. And they they go through all the tickets that this guy had, which was I don't know a dozen probably, some of which were for the championship game. Anyway, so they, he comes back and he's like, "Okay." None of these worked except for these two. So thank goodness there were two that were valid. And he gives those, you know, and I actually I actually grabbed them out of the so he gives them to the the scalper. The cop gives them to the scalper. I grab them out of the scalper's hand. I'm like, "We're taking these. You deal with the rest of it on your own." And the cop's like, "Wait, you guys don't know each other?" And I was like, "No, we don't know each other. We just bought tickets off of him." So he pulls us aside and again tells the scalper to, you know, stay back. And he's <laughs> He's like don't 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 do business with this guy. He's a thief, he's a crook, he's a liar. These are stolen tickets. He's gonna probably get away with it because it's impossible for us to prove that he's the one that stole them. but these are one hundred percent stolen tickets that he's trying to make money off of. You're lucky that these two are valid so go enjoy the game. so we go in <laughs> we go in and uh you know now we're in different seats, and you know we paid three hundred bucks for sideline seats, but the seats that we end up getting were kind of more in the corner. They were still lower bowl and and a good row, but they were not near the you know not near the vantage point that you want. So we we deal with that for the the second half of the um, Oklahoma Villanova game because it was such a blowout anyway. We didn't want to bother you know trying to figure out where our original seats were. So we just we just deal with it. So after that game ends, we you know and it was still still good seats, still an amazing experience just to be in that stadium. I got to say this. I don't love the fact that they played in a football stadium. I think from a basketball standpoint it's not it's not good for the game, but but the atmosphere being there and seeing these four sections of fans that are just totally fanatical about their team. There's the Syracuse section, there's the Villanova section, and then there was the North Carolina and the Oklahoma sections and it was just so cool to see. Um and there's so much energy and so much noise and so much passion. It was really really cool. That being said, there's a ton of bad seats. You know, you're in a football stadium trying to watch a basketball game and there's a ton of bad seats. There's a lot of people, you know, paying good money and they're watching it on the screen. I mean, if you look at the, you know, that buzzer beater, which of course we're going to dive into more. But if you look at the buzzer beater, um, you know, the that wins the game, Jenkins hits that shot and the the playback of Charles Barkley's celebration, if you haven't seen that, go, you know, google it, youtube it, twitter it, whatever. Charles Barkley reaction to Chris Jenkins shot. Barkley is he's there for for TNT, TBS, CBS, whatever, as a commentator, an analyst, and he so he has that good of a seat supposedly, and he is turned watching the game on a monitor. He's not watching the game live; he's watching it on a monitor with his back to the court. So there's just there's just so many bad seats. That's why we were willing to pay for the good ones. So anyway, so. We were, we were lucky that even for the even the the secondary tickets that we got, they were still a good view, great great entertainment, great fun. So now though the game ends, and now there's you know there's like a forty minute break before the North Carolina Syracuse game is going to start, and we start walking over to the section that we knew our original tickets were in, and we see our scalper friend. <laughs> He's now in the stadium somehow with all of I mean this guy he should be Frank Abagnale Jr. somehow some way. He talked his way out of any repercussions for being in possession of like a dozen stolen tickets. And not only that, but he has all of them with him still. They didn't even take them from him. So now he's in the game, gives us back the tickets that the ticket office wouldn't give back to us. Somehow he got those, gives them to us, and he's like, here you go, guys. You can go get, sit in your seats. So we go over there, and there's a there's a, a young couple in our seats. <laughs> So I'm just like, hey, guys, are these your actual seats, or did you just move down? Because a lot of Oklahoma, we were near the Oklahoma section, and as you can imagine, after getting blown out by 40, a lot of them were leaving. So I'm like, are these your actual seats, or did you guys just move down? And they're like, no, these are our our real seats. And I was like, oh, okay, well, they're they're ours, too. Um, I showed him the ticket, and he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. He's like, ours tickets were actually stolen from us, and so we got these replacement ones. (laughs) and i'm like oh i was like well i'm not the guy that stole them i promise you know and so they're looking at me like right and i was like no i swear like we bought these on the street and uh they were actually we were actually told when we scanned them that they were stolen but we just saw the guy in here who sold us the tickets and you know he 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 got us in and so i'm just like it's just it's just, it was such a funny experience you know um so there, you know, we ended up having a quick conversation with them. And sure enough, you know, there was a, the whole row had their tickets stolen. I guess from the hotel room, somebody came in and, and grabbed a whole stack of them. So they had to report them stolen. They have these, you know, kind of less quality, you know, not super cool souvenir type tickets. Like you're going to a movie or something like that. And um, so we so we ended up, you know, just kind of sitting uh, nearby them. We were actually in the row right, we were just sat right behind them. Luckily, because Oklahoma fans left. So we had a fantastic view for the North Carolina-Syracuse game. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, that's that, That's my story about getting into the Final Four game. So then, you know, we get to Championship Day. Couldn't be more excited. Get there early. Walk through a ton of different, you know, scalpers, trying to find the best, safest scenario. And we're telling all of them, like, "You're you're walking to the gate with us. And then we'll, you know... Then we'll believe that these are real, not because we don't trust you, but just because we got burned two days ago, right here in this very spot. We're not going to go through that again. So nobody can really, you know, nobody really seems to have the best uh, tickets available um, for a decent price. And thank goodness, you know, we we stayed patient because that's you know, little lesson for those of you that are ever going go to go out and try and scalp tickets. You got to be patient because the first person you see is probably not the person you're going to buy from. We went we we walked around for probably 25 30 minutes talking to a dozen plus different scalpers and finally we found a guy who had tickets in the exact section that we wanted and it was lower bowl we were in the section right next to Scotty Pippen we were two sections away from from Jordan although he was 30 rows in front of us but um great seats so we we pay we paid 350 for that one so to see three games on the sideline within the first 30 rows or first 40 rows we paid a total of 650 bucks. That's barely over $200 a game for the Final Four and championship games. It was it was incredible. So we get in there, obviously these tickets worked, it worked out great, and we're we're surrounded by mainly Carolina fans, but there were a, it was probably like 60/40 in favor of Carolina around us with 40, you know, obviously 40% being Villanova. So it was a really really fun environment. And in case, you know, you forgot from last time, I had $1900 riding on this game uh, if North Carolina could win. I didn't bet that much, but that was how much the pot was worth in the pool that I was involved in with some friends. And if all I needed was North Carolina to win, I was going to win first place, which was actually so the pot was 1900, first place was 1330, second place 380, and then third place was like 190 or something. So I was at this point guaranteed out of the 19 of us that uh, participated I was guaranteed to get first or second place. And obviously there's a massive dollar amount discrepancy between first and second, so I really, really wanted first. Plus, I've always kind of been a Carolina fan. I mean, I just wanted a good game more than anything, but I definitely wanted Carolina to win. I've been a Carolina fan. BYU is my first love, you know, when it comes to college sports, but I've been a fan of North Carolina. I love Jordan. I grew up a Jordan fan. NC is just a cool, cool school, so I've always kind of been a you know, a bit of a bandwagon type Carolina fan. I guess not too much of a bandwagon just because I've always liked them, but I have no reason to other than I like Michael Jordan. Anyway, so um, so the games just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That was one of the best championship games ever, even before that last second shot. Even before that shot, even before the Marcus Page circus shot, that was one of the best championship games ever played. It was the the quality of basketball was so high the back and forth was was incredible to watch and it was it was just a fun game a great atmosphere two two amazing programs these programs were you know two of the top programs all year long both of them have good history it was just so much fun and then you get to that final you know couple of minutes and carolina's down 10 and you just think oh there's just there's just such a small sliver of a chance here this is this is very unlikely you know that caroline is going to do this and the impossible happens they come storming back from down 10 in a matter of like 2 minutes marcus page scored 8 points in the last 93 seconds he hit that corner 3 which was super clutch then he drives in gets his shot blocked or he missed it yeah he misses it but shot gets his shot altered misses it gets his own offensive rebound and somehow, you know, amongst the trees, he he, he was able to put it back. I, have, I still have no idea how he put that ball back because he was surrounded by guys significantly bigger than him, but he gets his offensive rebound, puts it back, and then and, and that pulled him within one point, but then the, there's the foul. Villanova hits both free throws, and then Page hits that circus double pump, scissor kick, incredible three-pointer from the wing to tie the game with 4.7 seconds left. And at that point... We all thought it was probably going to overtime, but you—I mean, it's March Madness. Four point seven seconds is a lot of time, and so there was this family right in front of us. They were Villanova fans. It was—it was a dad and three of his three of his kids. It was really cool. It looked maybe two of his kids and a friend of theirs. Anyway, so I—I I, you know—I leaned forward to them. I was like, guys, it's either it's either overtime or you're winning. This is either going to be the most incredible ending ever, or we get five more minutes, and I'm happy with both of those, you know. But they knew that I had, you know, that I was going to win some money. Um, again, not gambling, just a registration fee that I paid to participate with my friends. Um, <laughs> but they knew I was going to win some money if, if Carolina won. But uh, we just wanted to see, you know, we just wanted to see what, what we end up seeing. So they inbound that ball, and I remember. So I don't know if you guys caught this on TV or not, but uh, the big guy—I forget how to pronounce his name—Ochobu o- or Okichobu, or I, I'm butchering it. I know, but the big guy for Villanova. I watched him mop the floor. I watched him like sweeping it. And I don't know if that was on TV or not. I don't know if it was still on commercial break or what was happening there or if the camera was elsewhere. But I pointed it out to everybody around me. I was like, look at him. He's doing all the he's he's the one like mopping up his own sweat spot from where he fell. And if you listen to the postgame interview, he did that because he knew that's where um, Archie was going to be. You know, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. They all call him Ryan Archie or Archie, you know, so that he knew that's where um, Archie was going to be coming up the court and that he was going to have to set a screen and he didn't want anybody to slip. He's like, I, d- I did not want myself to slip or Archie to slip. I, and so I wanted to make certain I knew where I had fallen and I wanted to make certain that it was completely dry. And I watched him do that live. And I thought to myself that, you know, I I actually didn't think that it had any real significance. I just thought it was him making sure that the spot was dry for the last second, you know, attempt to win. So anyway, they inbound the ball and everyone's everyone's talking about like why? Why on earth did I mean, why did Carolina not press? Even Rick Riley, you know, supposed to be a sports guy, is like why did they not press? Well, what do you mean why did they not press? They didn't press because there's only 4.7 seconds left. It's a tie game. You're in the bonus and the entire length of the court is on your side. I mean, the chances—the the, the chances of Villanova doing what they did were so slim that I thought Carolina played it great, with the exception of I do think that once the ball was inbounded, the they should have had they, they, they should they, they they well they basically just failed to execute on getting one guy to kind of slow Archie down because he just tur- he caught the ball turned and he was in a dead sprint up court with no, you know, no one impeding his progress there, like he. He wasn't really even slowed down. If he had, if he had been forced to even cross over once, the clock expires before that shot gets off. He probably would have ended up jacking up the shot himself. But credit to him. I mean, the fact that he had the presence of mind to dish that ball off to the trailing Jenkins—that looked like a drawn-up play. When it happened, I thought that was the most beautifully executed play I've ever seen in my entire life. That was in that moment, for that to be in the last less than 5 seconds they have to go the entire length of the court there was no prayer from beyond half court there was no lucky bank shot there was no you know even the Faisal jamma loss against NC State where Wittenberg and um Charles you know Wittenberg chucks up the air ball and Charles catches it and dunks it before the clock expires and Alajuan's sitting right there could have grabbed it himself but thought he would get called for goaltending so he just let it go i mean that's a. That, obviously, that's an amazing ending. That's the only other buzzer beater in championship history. But there's an element of luck involved with that. With this, there was no luck. This was a, a very smart senior point guard heading down court as quickly as he could. And apparently, the play was for him to make a decision, which is even more impressive on his part. Most guys in that situation are jacking that shot up on their own. They are not passing the ball. Most of them are going to jack it up early, too to where like the ball is going to hit the rim and then the buzzer is going to sound type of thing because they're just going to be nervous. They're going to be anxious. And they're just going to want to, you know, do it. But not, not Ryan. Um, I, <laughs> I really should learn how to pronounce his name, but we're just going to go with Arch, but not Arch. He he drives all the way down and has the presence of mind to dish to Jenkins, who's trailing and apparently shouting for the ball, dishes to Jenkins continues to run underneath Jenkins, in front of Jenkins, which which allowed for that little bit of separation to stay in place that was needed between the, the Tar Heel defense and Jenkins to get the clean shot off. And it was a deep three, but it was very much an in-rhythm, shoulder square to the basket, feet set, in-rhythm shot, and it and he drilled it. It was pure pandemonium. I mean, that stadium, between the Marcus Page shot and then this shot to win it, the stadium was just like ready to explode with emotion. The Marcus Page shot, you know, goes in seconds earlier and people are, they gave everybody these little seat cushions, you know, um, on the lower bowl and the Carolina fans started chucking theirs all over. I actually videoed it and put it on my Twitter. If you want to check it out, it's at Sean Bingham, S E A N B I N G H A M. Follow me on Twitter, guys. I appreciate it. I'm always talking sports there. So love to banter back and forth with you. Um, So it starts raining seat cushions in the stadium. They they were being thrown everywhere. It was such a cool thing. And so it's just pure pandemonium. And then the the, the anxiety that was on Villanova's part and the jubilation that was on North Carolina's part completely just reversed and switched. It was like a 180 was flipped on both sides the second that Jenkins hit that shot. And the whole stadium, myself included, I mean, I wanted North Carolina to win and I couldn't help but cheer when when Villanova hit when Jenkins hit that shot I couldn't help but just think I just witnessed the coolest championship ending ever and and it's going to be hard to ever top that I mean maybe if the one goes into like triple overtime and then there's a buzzer beater or something like that but to have that Marcus Page circus shot tie it up only to be bettered seconds later by a Jenkins three to win it That's the, that you can't write an ending like that to North Carolina down 10 and they come storming back in a matter of like 93 seconds. Well, two minutes and 93 seconds, uh, page scored eight points in 93 seconds. It's just, it's such a, such an amazing ending and truly the best championship game I think has ever been played. I think it was one of the best even before that last 4.7 seconds with the two amazing three pointers. But when you add those in, it's gotta be the best ever. And that's the most clutch shot that's ever been hit in the history of the NCAA tournament. I mean, there's plenty of clutch shots. You know, Christian Leitner's one is the one that we always talk about, you know, where they're playing against Kentucky in the Elite Eight, and they inbound the ball. I think it's Grant Hill throws the ball pretty much the length of the court, and uh, Leitner's standing on the foul line. How on earth he caught that ball is beyond me. He never, I mean, that's a different scenario where the defense probably should have been able to like bat something down, but they just didn't want the ball to go over their heads. So Leitner catches the ball, does his little fake, and then turn around and drills it to win the game. But that was in the Elite Eight, you know? That was in the Elite Eight. This is in the championship game, you know? This is the championship game where th- this is it. Everything is on the line. It's you're either You're either the champion right now, or in this case, they would have had overtime, which made it, in my opinion, even cooler, and... He drills it. I mean, it, that shot will live forever. Jenkins will forever be the guy that's just clutch, you know, the clutch NCAA March Madness shooter. So best championship game ever, no question about it. And they needed that because the final four uh, semifinal games were not that great. But to have it end that way was, was awesome. And to be there and experience it live is something I'll never forget. Um, such, an, such an amazing experience. I stayed for the whole thing you know afterwards. they do the one shining moment there in the stadium, and you know they cut down the nets and they do the you know the most outstanding player you know all that stuff and it was really, really cool um really, really cool so that's my final four experience all the way from the scalper issues to <laughs> to the uh you know to the unbelievable championship game but a cool cool topic I want to touch on um that happened during the same weekend, during the same, you know, few days stretch was Scotty Pippen's bold statement, who by the way, like I mentioned, was sitting just literally maybe 10, 12 seats from me. He was two rows in front of me and maybe 10 seats to my right. So that was kind of cool. And then Jordan was, you know, maybe 10, 12 seats to Scotty's right, but another, you know, like I said, about 25, 30 rows lower. So, and Jordan had bodyguards around him and Pippin and other people, you know, were just kind of like regular people, like the rest of us, just had to walk in and out the regular way. But Jordan had a Madrasad to his right, a bodyguard to his left, and they had a separate entrance down underneath. And his bodyguard was, you know, fending off a ton of people trying to take pictures. But then Jordan did allow other other people to take pictures. I'm not sure if he how he determined how to do that, but Jordan is like royalty. He's on a different he's on a different level of famous. It's it's pretty incredible to watch. But anyway, lest I digress, so. So, so Scotty Pippen says, you know, um, that he thinks that the bulls, the 96 bulls would sweep this 2016 warriors team in a seven game series. So that's something that Ron Harper, which a lot of people don't remember, but Ron Harper actually first said that back in November and you know, and then Steve Kerr was interviewed cause Steve Kerr of course was a pretty, pretty important role player on that bulls team. And is obviously the head coach of the warriors this year. So he's the only one involved with both teams. So Pippin is asked that question, and he, you know, just says Bulls and 4. Bulls and 4. Again, YouTube it, Google it, Twitter it, whatever. Um, But Pippin says Bulls and 4. And (laughs) obviously that's going to cause a huge commotion. And at at the time, it looked like the Warriors were definitely going to break the record. Well, since then, they lost to the Timberwolves, and now they have to play the Spurs twice, once of which is tonight, by the way. They play the Spurs twice, the Grizzlies twice, and there's no margin for error. If they want to beat the record, they have to win out. Um, so in my opinion, if Pop doesn't just lay down and let them win because he's resting his guys for the playoff run, which he's very notorious for doing, then I think the Warriors only have a ch- uh, have their best shot or their best hope is that is to just tie the Bulls' record of 1996 where they won 72 games. I don't see any scenario... If the if the Grizzlies and Spurs are both playing their hardest and playing their stars, I don't see any scenario in which the Warriors go 4-0. I really just don't, especially with two of those games being on the road, one of them being on the uh, second night of a back-to-back on the road against quality teams trying their hardest, the Spurs being a team, that I, I just don't see that happening. But if Pop says, hey, you know what, guys, the two seed's where we're at. We're not going to get higher, which is pretty much the case. I don't see any scenario either in which the the Warriors give up the the one seed in the West. So I could, see, I could see Pop saying, you know what, we're not getting any higher. There's no way we're getting that one seed. Let's rest. Our guys are 40 years old. You know, Duncan is, I don't know how old Duncan is. He's probably like 57 now. Just kidding. He's, uh, I think he's 39. But Duncan just won his 1,000th game as a Spur with Popovich as his coach, which is the most all-time with one coach. Um, not the most all time in general, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Robert Parrish are ahead of him, but it is the most, uh, for any player coach combination. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, so I don't see a scenario in which the Warriors are able to, to beat that record. If Popovich and the Spurs are playing their best two of these next two games, they play against each other. I think the Spurs get at least one of those two. And the Grizzlies could potentially as well because they're trying to secure, you know, playoff position as well. But anyway, so Pippen says that and it's just like obviously it causes this huge commotion. Harper already said it. Kerr, you know, jokingly talked about it from I think like the hospital when he or his recovery area when he had his back surgery back in November. And at the time, the Warriors were like 14 or no or 15-0. And they were, you know, they were already being compared to that Bulls team. And... Obviously, he didn't make any serious comments about it, but, you know, I, I want to do an entire podcast about this. So I'm going to keep this brief, you know, to the next couple of minutes here is all. And then I want to really dive in deeper after we see how the season unfolds uh, for the, these last four games for the Warriors. But I've said it a couple of times months ago. I think that the Bulls would sweep them as well. I really do. I'm going to dive deeper into it and see if maybe I could give the Warriors a game. But I look at Scottie Pippen and, and Pippen, you know, people that really are students of the game, people that have followed the game, uh, you know, especially those that are my age or older that witnessed the 90s in person and remember it. Pippen was not just some, you know, Robin to Jordan's Batman. Pippen's one of the greatest defenders the league has ever seen, ever. Pippen could, could guard one through four with no problem, even one through five sometimes, He's 6 foot 7 with like a 7 foot wingspan. He has the longest arms you've ever seen, long legs. He can move laterally faster than anyone you've ever seen. And he just he I mean he just disrupts everything off you try to do offensively. And so I just see him guarding Steph Curry and I think he'd give him fits. I really really do. I, Steph Curry is the man and he's he's the best ball handler in the league. Maybe Kyrie Irving's got him beat there, but I'd probably give it to Steph cuz his ball handling is so unique. So I think Steph's going to break free and he gets his shot off so incredibly quickly um, that I think Steph's still going to get his, you know, probably one of the bold statements Pippen made was that he could hold Steph under 20 points. I think he could for, you know, at least a few of the games. I think we've seen people do that. I mean, last year in the finals, Curry, Curry played really well, but, you know, it was Iguodala who got the MVP. So Curry wasn't the same Curry during the finals, at least. But I think I think that Pippen is one of the best defenders the league has ever seen, if not the best. He he was so versatile and so quick and so long. And length is is crucial in the game of basketball on defense. It is absolutely crucial. And when you have the athleticism of a six foot seven Pippen with the wingspan of a guy that's, you know, they're a rim protector guy in the middle of a seven footer, that's a really, really tough that's a really, really tough guy to beat offensively. And Pippen prided himself on on being the stopper for the Bulls. Jordan is one of the best defenders of all time. And I'm telling you right now, if Jordan wants to put the lockdown on Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson's not even getting a shot off. Clay Thompson might not even touch the ball if Jordan doesn't want him to. That's how good of a defender Jordan was compared to Klay's offensive abilities. So I'm not trying to knock the Warriors. I think they're a phenomenal team. I don't even think you know they're a lock to win this championship um the 96 bulls nobody even questioned who was winning that championship it wasn't even a question they were actually up 3-0 on the on the sonics in the finals before they somehow laid an egg and lost two and then came back and won it in six but they were up three games to zero and ended up winning the winning the series in six 72 and 10 you know steamrolled through the the playoffs you know they they swept the first round and then I think they dropped a game and then dropped maybe another game and then dropped two in the, in the finals. But I mean, they, they just, to me, like that team is the greatest team of all time still, but let's see, how, let's see, let's see how these final four games go. Maybe the Warriors surprise us and they go 73 and nine and then they win the championship. And then it's a real debate, right? But until they do that, it's, you know, even when they do, it's all just hypothetical, right? I mean, Steve Kerr joked about it. Like none of this can actually happen. So Pippin's in the safest spot possible, right? I mean, What's nobody's going to say like, okay, Pippen, like you're 50. Let's see you. Let's let's play. Let's get Jordan, get Rodman and let's see what happens. That's not going to happen because it's impossible. So he has nothing to lose by saying that he gets into the headlines and he defends his team and I don't blame him for thinking it. I think the bulls definitely win that series. I don't know if it's a sweep. I part of me thinks it would be, but then the other part of me thinks realistically, well, well, the bulls weren't sweeping most people back then. You know, why would they sweep this warriors team? And I guess you could argue that the game is softer and blah, blah, blah. But the game also now has better shooters than it ever did back then. I mean, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, they're the best two shooters in the league now. And they definitely would have been the best two shooters in the league back then. The three-point shooting has increased significantly over the last, you know, two decades since the Bulls were doing their thing. So it's a fantastic argument to go back and forth on, but... uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in and break it down player by player in, in the next, probably in another episode, just because I want to see how the season plays out. But off the top of my head, it's like, you know, Dennis Rodman was able to stop Karl Malone in two consecutive finals appearances, back to back finals appearances. He completely took the mailman out of his, out of his element, out of his game. Rodman gets into your head. He out hustles you. He out rebounds you. He out physicals you, and he just takes you out of your game. Carl Malone is probably the most skilled power forward the league has ever seen. He's not the best because Duncan owns that title because he's got more MVPs and he's got more final more rings he's got five rings to to Malone zero. but honestly, if we're like putting them just head to head in their prime, I think Malone's the more talented player so if if Rodman could do that to Malone. You're telling me he's going to have a hard time with Draymond Green? No way, no way. Rodman would take Draymond Green out of his game in a heartbeat, and there's no question that Jordan gets the better of Clay Thompson. It's not even they're they're not even in the same league. It really just and then it's Pippen and Curry. It's like there's no way that that Curry is going to defend Pippen because he just get posted up and scored on all night long. So they probably end up putting a, a Harrison Barnes or an Iguodala. Here I am breaking it all down when I said I was going to wait. They're probably going to put in a Harrison Barnes and Iguodala on Pippen, but Pippen will guard, will guard Curry. And then you just see what happens. So uh, Luke Longley and um, Andrew Bogut, they're pretty much the same guy. In fact, they're both, they're you know, They're both seven footers from Australia that are, you know, just kind of important role players and nothing more on the team. So that's a wash. Ku coach and Iguodala and Barnes and Harper and those guys, those are all pretty much a wash. And, you know, then you've got Kerr coming off the bench for the 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 Bulls team, even though he's coaching the Warriors team, right? So it's gonna be a busy, busy night for him uh being on the bench for the for the Warriors, but then on the court for the Bulls. But he was their best three point shooter, and obviously he's not as good of a three point shooter as either Clay or Curry is, but the game was different back then. Three point shooting wasn't nearly the focus that it is now, but Anyway, we'll break it down. I think it's a it's a fun argument, even though it's a complete hypothetical that can never actually be figured out. To me, it's like extremely fun to debate because it kinda it kinda just shows, you know, how closely people followed back then and where their loyalties lie and what they value in, in the game of basketball. Are they valuing just this amazing three point shooting of Steph Curry? Or is it the overall, you know, dominance of a guy like Michael Jordan who dominated both ends of the court and willed his team to win. And how do you ever bet against Michael Jordan? That's the thing. is, Is anybody really going to bet against Michael Jordan? The guy went six for six in the finals, you know, retired on top. None of this Kobe farewell tour stuff where he's like a shell of a man as he's retiring. And he did come back to the Wizards, you know, for those, those, that season and a half. But even then he averaged over 20 points a game and improved the team. Kobe is is shooting he has the worst field goal percentage in the entire league right now worst three-point field goal percentage as well he's a shell of himself and his team is like the laughing stock of the nba they've won 16 games they're on they're definitely going to break the franchise record for worst season ever and you know he's just kind of going going on this farewell tour you know waving goodbye to fans and taking pictures and you know, hugging players, and it's kind of a joke. You know, I, Kobe, I got nothing but respect for how good of a player he is and was. But the whole season is just kind of a joke for the Lakers. It's too bad. But I don't really love the Lakers anyway, so I'm fine with it. But, um, you know, Jordan retired as like the best of the best of the best and stayed that way. And I just, you'd be crazy to bet against Michael Jordan. I get that Steph Curry is amazing. But he's been amazing for like three seasons. Let's see him do it for another decade before we crown him, you know, this fantastic all-time great. Let's see him do it for at least another five years, you know, before we do that. Let's see him get three more championships. Once he gets to that four mark, let's see, you know. And so you'd be crazy to bet against Michael Jordan. But anyway, um, that's all the time we have for today. But guys, I want to ask you to please subscribe uh, to the podcast. It helps out a lot. We're trying to grow this thing. It's a ton of fun for me and uh, really appreciate the support of all the listeners. So Spread the word to your friends and stuff and give us feedback. Check out, check out uh, the blog or the website stbsportstake.com That's it for the show. Peace. Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com Simply the best in sports.